Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date. Uh, today, 20 years and one day after its original air date. So, um, posting a little late, I told you guys in last week's episode that... Um, I was getting a dental procedure done and I knew that I would probably be fine to do the podcast on time, but no guarantees. I essentially, at this point, I am like four days out from the procedure, (laughs) which if you want to hear way too many details about it, you can um, become a patron at any level of giving. So um, even if you just want to give me a dollar a month just to hear my tooth story and then bow out after the first month, that's totally up to you. Um, But anyway, I have like more personal podcasts. I do weekly personal podcasts on my um, Patreon. So the link to that is always in my podcast description notes and it is patreon.com slash mixtressray, M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E. And I'm not trying to like put my personal stories behind a paywall or any of that bullshit. Um, it's actually always like my more personal shit is actually always free to listen to as well. It's just, you have to tune into my internet radio show that I do every week. And that's more of a like tune in at the right time kind of thing. So anyway, it's, it's not a big deal. I mean, it is a big deal because it's something that I've been dealing with for a long time. And it's finally like the procedure that I just had this week was almost the end of a very long struggle since, um, second grade. And I've probably talked about it on here before, but, um, at this point I am pretty well back to normal. Like I'm still dealing with a little bit of pain. There's months of healing ahead of me until I have, um, essentially I had to get one of my front teeth pulled and I have to wait for several months for it to heal properly before they can put the permanent tooth on. And in the meantime, I have a temporary tooth. So I'm not just walking around with one front tooth, thankfully, because I'm way too vain for that shit. And the fake tooth, the temporary that I have right now is, um, pretty decent. Like it's, most people aren't even going to notice that anything's different unless they're like looking for it. And then they're like, Oh, okay. That looks kind of weird. Um, so it's not bad. Everything went really well. So, but last night I was just, I've been really the biggest part of it right now. I've had to take three rounds of antibiotics and, um, just throughout the course of the last like month and a half, um, because of this whole situation and it's been harrowing. (laughs) I don't do well on antibiotics. So I've been just like really worn out. And of course, part of that is just the healing from, you know, invasive dental procedures, you know, that kind of stuff takes a while to heal. And since it's in your head, you know, it's hard to like not think about it constantly. You know what I'm saying? But I'm fine. Everything went great. But, um, it, it did mean that I watched the Buffy episode and took notes yesterday, like I was supposed to on Saturday, the 25th, 20 years after his original air date. But then I was just, it was late and I was tired and I didn't feel like it. So I didn't 
actually record. So now I'm sitting here with my notes that I took yesterday and I'm ready to record. So, um, sorry for it being a day late, but, um, at least I warned you guys, right? Season four is turning out to be the Buffy season where I post episodes late a lot of the time. So, um, apologies for that. I'm going to try to stay on track as much as possible, but I can't promise this isn't the last time that it will be late. Uh, my mom always assures me that no one cares if I'm late <laughs> and no one has actually complained to me when I'm late. It's just me that is trying to keep myself on the schedule because the whole premise of this project is exactly 20 years after its original air date. And I would like to stick to that 95% of the time. So this is one of those of the 5% that I'm posting a day late. So how are you guys? <laughs> so I'm going to just, um, I'm going to, First of all, I'm recording at night again, um, cause I did work today and, um, yeah, anyway, so doing a night post, which means I'm sitting in my little closet where I record with candles. And, um, that also means it's time to take a shot of whiskey. <laughs> um, I'm also since today was my first day back at work since the procedure. And, um, so it was extra tiring because I'm just the biggest symptom for me at the moment is just exhaustion. So being on my feet for many hours at a time, today was the first day I did that. I was on my feet for four hours today, just for a four hour shift. That's all it was. I mean, I'm not like dead tired, but I'm pretty tired. So um, and it did kind of up the pain level a little bit. So I am also just full disclosure. I am chasing my, um, I am chasing a painkiller with a shot of whiskey right now. <laughs> it's party time guys. So let's do it. <clears throat> yeah. Good stuff. <clears throat> yes, sorry for those of you all that might have misophonia. If you don't know what that is, it's, um, I believe it's when you don't like the sound of people chewing. I'm the opposite. Like, that's why I don't usually pause it if I'm like taking a shot or something. Because I enjoy listening to people. Like, I really like it when like actors will be like, like Giles, like Anthony Stewart head. He does this a lot where he'll be like holding something in his hands that he's like, he's like drinking tea or he's eating a banana or whatever. And I just, I like the way people's voices sound when they've just taken a, it's weird. It's like, I like the way their voice sounds. Not necessarily, I don't like listening to them chew, but I like listening to the way that their voice changes when they've just like swallowed a bite of something or something. It's like their voice just sort of changes a little bit. It's very subtle. And for some reason, I just have always really enjoyed that. So sorry for those of y'all that have the opposite reaction to hearing someone take a drink of something or whatever, because I just made you listen to me do that. That'll be the last time this episode, at least. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm deciding to do, I've decided to do because the Nikki Stafford episode guide, the book that I consult every single week for you guys, has a pretty concise, um, like even like her description of the episodes, like I usually read you her like one sentence, um, 
description of the episode plot, but her also, her also, the rest of the, the, the descriptions of her episodes of the episodes are just like a few paragraphs long. So I thought I would read it today and just sort of, um, just to kind of jog my memory since I didn't watch the episode. Usually I watch the episode right before I press record, but since I did it last night, it's been like 24 hours since I've watched it and I have the memory of a goldfish. So this is for me as much as it's for you. Okay, here we go. A New Man is the episode that we're talking about tonight. Original air date, January 25th, 2000. Written by Jane Espenson. Yay. Directed by Michael Gershman. Um, And then the episode summary is... Just as Giles is feeling like Buffy no longer notices him, Ethan Rain strikes again and turns Giles into a fiaral demon, making him unrecognizable to the gang. Jane Espenson has, so that's the summary. Jane Espenson has always had the magic touch when it comes to the comic episodes, which is so true. And New Man is no exception. It's Buffy's birthday again. So first of all, apologies. I said last week, we're not going to have a Buffy episode in season four, are we? Hmm, that's interesting. This episode is not centered around Buffy's birthday, but it includes a Buffy's birthday party at the beginning. And I had completely forgotten about that. So I was wrong that we're not celebrating Buffy's birthday this week because, or this year, because we are. It's Buffy's birthday again, so things will inevitably go terribly wrong. Giles has been on the periphery this season, coming to grips with no longer being a librarian or even a watcher, and wondering if he even has a place in Buffy's life any longer. Ethan's mojo simply personifies how Giles has been feeling, like an old creature who is not recognized as part of the gang. And Wesley's not there anymore to make him feel cool. Anthony Stewart Head is brilliant as always in in this episode and somehow makes the Fiaral demon come across as a stiff librarian type, which is hilarious. (laughs) Giles meets his nemesis in the form of Maggie Walsh, the fishwife, who will become Buffy's new mentor. She shrugs him off as an absent father figure who should just leave Buffy alone. Poor Giles discovers, I mean, she didn't say you should just leave Buffy alone. I mean, that, I mean... Professor Walsh is an asshole. We can all agree to that, but poor poor Giles discovers that everyone but him knew about the initiative, which makes him feel even more alone. And Buffy was complaining in the last episode about Riley not being upfront with her. Hmm. It's interesting that Buffy jumps headfirst into the initiative without discussing it with Giles or anyone. Yeah, that's kind of out of character for her. She would normally be a little bit more cautious. I didn't even think about that. Despite the fact that they do their research in a completely different fashion than she's used to. And even when Giles gets the 314 tip from Ethan, she doesn't question that maybe this army outfit isn't all it seems on the surface. Well, they didn't really talk about... I mean, does she even know about the 314 thing? Did Giles pick up on that in his drunken conversation with Ethan and pass it on to Buffy yet? I don't think we've seen evidence of that yet. And even when Giles, okay, yeah, I already read that sentence. The final scene is touching as are many scenes with Giles and Buffy. Giles relates, realizes he might not fit in with the group as one of their buddies, but is more like a stern father to her. Just as Joyce no longer stern father, he's not a stern father. Just as Joyce no longer takes an active part in Buffy's life, but is still important to her, Giles will always be the one she'll turn to, the one who means the most to her. This episode is the first of several that explore the individual characters' inherent doubts about their importance in Buffy's life. 
Okay, this is really helpful. At the end, I mean, she always has in the book, I'm not going to read all of this, but she always has like a highlight, interesting facts, nitpicks, um, oops for like, you know, continuity errors or things like that. She always lists that stuff. I'm not going to list all of that. Um, but she also has this really cool little chart at the bottom to outline every single one of Buffy's birthdays. So we get, does, is this all the seasons? One. Okay, this would be one, two, no, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So we get each one of her birthdays, except for her 16th birthday. We don't get that one because that must have happened, which I talked about in the last episode, that would have had to have happened before the series began. So the first Buffy birthday we celebrate is the seventh, her 17th birthday, which is in season two, and then her 18th was so okay i'll just go over it real quick just for fun because as my penance <laughs> for getting it wrong last week thinking that we weren't celebrating her birthday this year buffy's 17th birthday was in season two with surprise so that was the one where she at the very end she has sex with angel for the first time um 18th birthday was help the episode helpless so that was the one with the cruciamentum that whole like thing where when um, a slayer turns 18 if they live to see their 18th birthday they get drugged by their watcher and like put into a situation they t get their slayer powers taken away from them and they get put into a situation and they have to like figure their way out of it and a lot of slayers probably die during that mission it's just terrible anyway we talked about it already and then this is her 19th birthday. Again, if you're just tuning in for some reason, and this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, hi, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Um, but this is not a spoiler-free Buffy podcast. So um, I'm going to go ahead and talk about her other birthdays. Her 20th birthday, which we'll get next year in season five, is Blood Ties. Dawn discovers she's not real and cuts her arm up in front of everyone. Glory kidnaps Dawn. Is this the one? Hmm. No, this isn't the one where Dawn is stealing things. That's the next year. So I don't know, like, if they're specifically celebrating Buffy's birthday or what in that episode. Surely they are. It's probably just one of those ones that I don't remember it as a Buffy specific birthday episode, but it actually is just like this year. Her 21st birthday is older and far away. Dawn inadvertently wishes that no one would leave her. So that's um, the one where um, Dawn inadvertently makes a wish to a vengeance demon and traps everyone in the house with her during Buffy's birthday party. That's season six. And then season seven, her 22nd birthday. There's no mention of Buffy's birthday in season seven. Oh, okay. So we actually... So this little chart is explaining that we do not celebrate Buffy's 22nd birthday. So we don't get to celebrate her 16th birthday in the first season because we missed it. And then we don't get to celebrate her 22nd birthday because it's not even mentioned. Interesting. I didn't realize that. Okay. For some reason, I'm happy. I like those little kind of charts and things like that. Okay. Okay. Sorry. My mom was texting me and like, I didn't silence my phone. So I felt like whenever I know what's happening, I, I need to check, you know? So yeah, mom, you just interrupted my Buffy podcast by asking me about Picard. Um, <laughs> I still haven't watched the Picard series yet, guys. I am super into Star Trek, so I'm excited, but I'm also sort of, um, 
I'm nervous because it seems like the more recent additions to the Star Trek universe have been really, really amped up on the drama and action. And in my mind, that's not what Star Trek is about. Star Trek is about, I mean, I kind of, the heart of Star Trek in my personal fan opinion is all about Star Trek Next Generation. And that is a show about um, diplomacy and justice and philosophy and ethics. And it's just, it's more about ideas than action. So I'm I'm a little bit nervous that the new Picard series is going to be too much action because that seems to be what they've been doing with the Star Trek franchise in the last 10 years or so. And I'm not here for that, but um, it'll be okay. It won't ruin Star Trek Next Generation for me <laughs> or anything, even if it's not what I'm expecting. Anyway, that's your little Star Trek aside. <laughs> um, okay. Let me know all your thoughts on Picard or any Star Trek franchise at mixtressradio at gmail.com. Okay, so let's get into, um, so that's the thoughts from Nikki Stafford from the episode guide, Buffy episode guide called Bite Me, which you can find on Amazon for like $3 shipped, um, or not Amazon, eBay, eBay. I'm not promoting Amazon because... I have a new year's resolution that is all, I mean, it's a really complicated, but I get real complicated with my new year's resolutions guys. But part of it is that I'm not going to order from Amazon anymore, which entails more than you think. Like I'm finding out that I need to research what different companies are owned by Amazon because I have inadvertently bought from one of them already this year. Um, Anyway, that's just a whole other thing. <laughs> um, okay, let's get to my notes. A new man, Riley and Buffy making out. So the episodes open opens with them making out on Buffy's bed. And you kind of get the impression that they're about to do it for the first time. But Willow interrupts them and says that, there's, says that, that, that there's some kind of emergency. I'm having a hard time talking with my new tooth. Which is not because the new tooth is weird or anything. It's just... Like, I think it's just because things are healing, so it makes everything feel weird. So, like, the more I move my mouth around, like, I just can't talk for long segments of time. So, this is going to be an adventure. Okay. So, Riley and Buffy are making out. Willow, Willowus Interruptus is what I wrote in my notes. Um, I'm already going to tell you that the outfit of the episode is Willow's first outfit. When we first see her at the beginning of the episode, she's wearing a red shirt that says as seen on tv on it and then she's wearing this skirt that is orange and red and it's um it looks like a tibetan prayer flag pattern so i don't know if that's something that like is maybe kind of problematic but i think it's really pretty she's just wearing this long tibetan um skirt pattern with the as seen on tv t-shirt and it's I forgot because, okay, I just started rewatching Veronica Mars and that series, like the first season started, I think in 2004 or 2005. And like, I'm already sort of feeling it watching Buffy season four, which was in 2000 of like the bad fashion. 
but I think fashion didn't get truly terrible until around 2003-2004. Like whenever that whole like pants that are only an inch above your crotch <laughs> those pants came along and I hate to say it but the first time I ever remember seeing pants like that was in Shakira's whenever wherever and I love Shakira and I'm not gonna blame Shakira for those pants because those pants were awful but she could pull them off and she was probably the only person in the universe that could <laughs> anyway I'm starting to think while watching Veronica Mars the whole point of that is that I think the really bad fashion was a little bit later so luckily Buffy the series ends before that really really happens do you remember those like fucking like they were skirts that like didn't start until an inch above your crotch and they didn't end until about half an inch below your butt cheeks <laughs> they were the worst and they they were like tight at the top and then they were roughly at the bottom it's just like who looks good in that nobody Yes, I do have rants about early 2000s fashion. Okay. So, okay. Willow's as seen on TV shirt paired with orange Tibetan print skirt. So that's the outfit of the episode. Um, and then my next note was, did they not tell Riley about the surprise party? Because he like jumps in and he's like wearing his, you know, initiative gear and everything. And everybody jumps out and says surprise. And he's like, whoa, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, that should have been Giles's first indica indication that like, hmm, maybe Riles is one of, Riles, maybe Riley. Hey, that's the, um, the fanfic name for Giles and Riley fanfiction, Riles. <laughs> um, Giles should have noticed when he, you know, barged in in a camo, in camo pants and an army green shirt. Poor Riley. I mean, let's just talk about it for a second. Okay, throughout the course of this episode, and basically what we're watching right now, and we will continue to watch, let's see, the IN team, Goodbye Iowa. Yeah, we're about to see, you know, Riley's whole world crumble down. You know, he he's used to a lot of structure in his life. You know, he probably grew up with super rigid religious parents I'm assuming um there's probably a lot of love in his family but also rigid ideals I'm assuming and then he went straight to you know essentially being in the military um I mean this isn't the military but it's a government agency that controls him like he follows orders he respects hierarchical um, ranks and things like that within his chosen profession, I guess. Like, I assume he gets paid for what he's doing. Like, surely. It's not a calling to him. But anyway, he's about to have his whole world crumble around him because he is, he's now allied himself with someone that doesn't follow those kinds of rules. I mean, yeah, there's a hierarchy with slayerness too, because there's the chosen one. And then in her life, she has people around her that help her. So it's not really like, yeah, it's not a structure necessarily, although they do respect her as their leader. So he's seeing a completely different way. And it's interesting how they're playing with that. You know, like season four isn't as bad as a lot of people remember it to be. 
they're playing around with the structure of science versus magic, sort of the different ways that you could approach demon fighting, because both of these entities are essentially fighting demons, but um, they're doing it in very different ways. And this episode in particular is really beginning that idea. And it's kind of cool. Like it's a really actually a pretty good episode. Even though like when I think about it, it's like, oh, hey, that's the one where Giles is a demon and it's really funny. And he hangs out with Spike. That's what I think of this episode as like on the surface until I watch it again. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. This episode is actually setting up a lot of ideas that we're going to explore in the season. And that's pretty cool. I feel like I'm like lisping or something. Like I feel like I'm slurring or lisping or something. I swear it's not because I just took a shot because I'm not a lightweight. I can take one shot and not sound weird. <laughs> it's just, um, I'm also, okay. This is probably totally TMI, but, um, because I'm healing from like a mouth thing, I think my my mouth is reacting by creating a lot more saliva than it normally does. <laughs> so I think that's also tripping me up. So sorry guys, I'm just real spitty right now. Okay. Um, who are these people at Buffy's party? Okay. That's just like kind of a trope. It has to be. It's a trope. It's a trope that like on Friends, like they'll have a birthday party and there'll be all these people in the background that you don't, you've never seen before and you never see again. That's what happens at Buffy birthday parties too. Like there were people all over the place. It wasn't just, you know, eight of them. It wasn't just Willow, Xander, Giles, Riley. And who else is there? <laughs> yeah, that should have been all of them, but it wasn't just them. Oh, and Anya, Anya too. So it should have just been six of them, but whatever. Who are all these people at Buffy's party? Giles doesn't know about Riley or that he's a commando or Professor Walsh is head of the initiative. So he doesn't know any of that stuff. This is the most poignant, poignant, is that how you say that word? Part of this episode. This episode is more about Giles than it is about Buffy. And that's rare for an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer to be about anything other than Buffy. So... It's about Giles. It's about how isolated he feels, how, you know, he feels like he's not needed. And can you imagine? Can you imagine? Okay, so you grow up in England. You are rebellious youth, and then you end up in the Watcher's Council. And then you actually get called to be a Watcher of the current Slayer. So you move to where she lives across the Atlantic you know, he is thousands of miles from home. Ooh, let's just do a little, let's do a little Google search because I have my computer on right now. Let's do it. Sunnydale, California. Um, let's just assume, let's just say LA because it's, it's basically like two hours south of LA or something, right? LA to London. Like how many miles is he away? from his home. Google Maps is loading. Oh my God. A 10 hour flight, $592. Wow. How many miles? Come on guys, tell me. I don't want to know. Like why, why is the first thing you tell me how much it costs for the flight, but not how many miles it is? 
Um, I don't know how to work Google Maps. Hold, please. Okay. <laughs> that was an adventure. I had to like Google it again. LA to London in miles, 5,437 miles. Like, I mean, like across the fucking earth almost, you know, he's really far away from home. You know, he doesn't have any friends except teenagers because yeah, he worked in a school library. So like he, and because he worked in the library, it's not like he hung out in the teacher's lounge, lounge with the other teachers, you know, he didn't really make friends with the other teachers. So he has no one right now. He has no profession. He doesn't know what he's doing with himself. He doesn't know if Buffy needs him anymore. Um, this is a real existential crisis for Giles. And I know that like, we're basically, that's what season four is all about. It's about focusing on identity shifts since they've all moved from, well, Willow and Buffy have moved from high school to college. Giles has moved from being watcher and librarian to unemployed, doesn't know what the next step in his whole fucking life is. And Xander is, has moved from his parents' house to his parents' basement. <laughs> and he's figuring out what he's going to do with his life. Um, it was just never really in the cards for him to go to college. So I like that that's what they're doing with Xander's character, to be honest. But anyway, I just really, for the first time, I rewatched this series, I don't know how many times, five, six, seven. I've really never experienced this particular episode with as much empathy for Giles as I feel right now. I think I finally crossed over. You know, I've, al I've always like, you know, felt sorry for him in this episode. Like, oh, poor old guy. He doesn't know what he's doing with his life. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh God, that's me. <laughs> This whole episode, I'm just like hyper identifying with Giles and it makes it so much more effective. It, it's this episode, the emotional strings that is pulling is working on me in this episode. I had a thought that I'm not sure I've ever had before while I was watching this episode last night. And it is this, I think Giles is my favorite character in Buffy. And that's really sad because it's sad on the one hand, because this show is supposed to be about girl power. It's my very favorite show in the world. And it's supposed to be a feminist show. And it's supposed to be about how women can also be strong. And it's a, it's a feminist statement. Even if it's not always a feminist show, the it's a feminist premise and a feminist statement in general, the show. And it's a testament to the patriarchy. I probably wrote it down in my notes actually whenever I first thought of it. Where is it? Okay. I thought I wrote it down. I do have quite a bit of notes though. So maybe we'll, um, I'll see it while we're reading through them. But I just remember having the thought, oh my God, I think Giles is my favorite character of Buffy. I just love him the most. And I had just a moment of, oh, I love Giles. And then I was like, fuck in a fucking like feminist supposedly show my favorite show of all time. My favorite character is a white guy. And then I was like, why is that? Oh yeah. Because of patriarchy, because a white guy wrote this <laughs> anyway. Okay. So nothing against Giles as a character. He is nearly perfect. Okay. Nearly. Okay. 
blah, blah, blah. So I really feel for Giles a lot. You know, he does not know what's going on. Buffy's not filling him in. And it does make sense. You know, everything makes sense. Like, it makes sense that she wouldn't be necessarily talking to him about every single thing. Because she has to go to him specifically to tell him shit. Um, I, of course, enjoyed the, um, is this going to be the quote of the episode? No, it's not. But I like when Buffy said, you know, I think Giles was asking her how she was enjoying her birthday this year or something. And she was like, of course, you could smash in all my toes with a hammer and it would still be the best as Buffy birthday bash in a big long while. Oh, this, <gasps> this got me. This got me this time more than it ever has. <laughs> I've crossed over because I don't know when the last time I watched this episode was, but I, uh, it's only been in the last like two or three years that I've started to really have to reckon with the fact that I'm getting older. I didn't really think about it before like age 35 or so. So <clears throat> I probably haven't watched this episode since then, you know, I really haven't watched ahead since I started this project. So I really haven't watched any, any of the coming Buffy episodes that we're about to get into in the next few years. I really haven't seen since before I started this project and we're in year four of this project right now. So anyway, when Buffy says to Giles, she's talking about Professor Walsh. She says, she's absolutely the smartest person I've ever met. And it's just like a fucking dagger in my heart because apparently I, I have now transitioned into Giles. I used to like, I used to watch Buffy before bed every single night. I think I've said this before and I would dream about, I always dream about whatever shows I've, I've been like mainlining lately. It's been Veronica Mars. Cause I watched like at least two episodes a day, but, um, I used to always dream that I was Willow. I would dream from Willow's perspective. And I, I used to be disappointed when I'd wake up. Like, why am I not Faith? Why am I not Buffy? I should be a fucking slayer. <laughs> I don't want to be Willow. <laughs> I love Willow. Don't get me wrong. But I have officially graduated to identifying with Giles the most. Apparently 37 is the year for that. <laughs> Um, so that hurt me. That just hurt me. Oh my God. I can't believe she said that. And she had no idea who she was saying that to. And it tracks because when I was 19 years old, I wouldn't have thought saying something like that in front of somebody like Giles would hurt them. You know, that's just how it is when you're 19. You don't fucking know what's going on. You're still a sociopath. Um, there's this whole like side plot of Spike's moving out of Xander's place, which makes sense because they now know that they have now uncovered kind of a big part of the mystery of the initiative. And they decided that the initiative isn't necessarily a bad thing and they're reluctantly trusting them. So they no longer need to hold Spike captive, which they have been for the last several episodes. So they're letting him go and he's been staying in Giles's um, basement for the last few episodes. And so he's putting his crap together and moving out. And Anya's asking him, where are you going to go? And he's like, somewhere dark and dank, but not as dark and dank as this. <laughs> Referring to Xander's basement, of course. Um, 
And Xander says something funny. Buffy has an appointment with, an appointment with someone who's actually still scary. Saying that to Spike. Um, I really love the little moment where, so Buffy and Riley are talking to Professor Walsh. They've decided from the very beginning to go ahead and trust her with the information that she is a slayer. Um, the openness here is a little strange. And if they're having, okay, here's something, just since I'm, I'm Giles now, from the perspective of Giles, so Buffy and Riley decide to have a meeting with Professor Walsh to sort of come out to her that, hey, this chick that I'm dating, she's actually the fucking slayer. What do you think about that? Let's talk about it. But they don't do that with Giles. You know, whenever Buffy introduces Riley to Giles at her birthday party, you know, she doesn't say, hey, we also need to talk. We need a meeting of the minds with all of us. Why is this conversation not happening with all four of them in the room? in the room, right? Riley, Buffy, Walsh, Giles. Why not? That would make sense, right? Let's take a moment. Okay. So in this conversation, there's a whole like weird, like macho dynamic thing going on where like Professor Walsh is, she is so fucking condescending. Like, I think it's a real missed opportunity that like we're introduced to a woman in charge in Buffy the Vampire Slayer that isn't Buffy. Every single fucking time a woman in charge that isn't Buffy is is terrible. You know, they don't let us, they don't give us a chance. Like Professor Walsh is a condescending cunt to Buffy in the classroom. She, from her first impressions, from the first time she meets her, She's a condescending cunt to Buffy in this meeting right here. She veils it pretty well, like, but she's still throwing out jibes, you know? She's being, like, she's being an asshole to Buffy. And then later she tries to fucking get her killed. Like, and she's a condescending cunt to Giles later. We'll talk about it. Sorry, Mom, for saying cunt so many times. I really enjoy that word, but my mom really doesn't like it. <laughs> And I know it's one of those words that just like gets under your skin. Um, but seriously, and I don't call someone a cunt lightheartedly. Usually I'm using it as a word of empowerment. Usually, usually I'm using it in the context of like RuPaul, charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent. You know what I'm saying? But in this context, she's being a fucking cunt, you guys. Like what the hell? What the hell? Okay, let's move on. <laughs> Like, it's just sad that, like, we could get... Professor Walsh didn't have to be the bad guy. It could have been some other person of high rank inside the initiative. Professor Walsh could have actually been a positive role model for Buffy. Maybe she had to die by the end of the season because she wasn't going to be a character that stayed on. But she could have been somebody that we liked and respected. But we really don't get to have that with her. Like, I don't even think... I mean, I guess we're supposed to kind of like her at this point, but she's such an asshole to Giles in this episode that, like, I don't know. I just feel like it's a missed opportunity, and I feel like this is another symptom of the patriarchy and white writers and all of that shit, that we don't get to have white male writers. We don't get to have, we just don't get to have women of authority in Buffy, except for Buffy herself. And that is it. And she is an unpaid slayer. And that's not fair. You know? Anyway, 
40 minutes in and I'm like half a page through my notes. Okay, here we go. <laughs> I like the moment where um, Walsh says to Buffy, you're the slayer. I thought you were a myth. And then Buffy says, you were a myth taken. <laughs> and then she looks really embarrassed because she ha said that, but I think it's cute. I just think it's cute. I'm like, I'm all about that. Okay. Um, so then we get into the whole like Riley inag inadequacy thing where he, they're like bragging because Riley has brought in 17 HSTs and they ask Buffy how many she's brought down. And then you see the conversation with Buffy and Riley afterwards where he's having to reconcile like, oh shit, like you've been a slayer since you were 15 years old. You don't even have any clue what your number is of HSTs that you've taken down. <laughs> um, and she's just kind of telling him, well, you know, like I've been doing this a long time. I'm bound to, you know, have, I lived on a hell mouth, <laughs> you know, like I went to school on a hell mouth. I'm the slayer. Like, of course I have been, she's being very sweet about it, but he's having a hard time reconciling with it. However, on the whole in this episode, like, you know, we get moments where Riley is really, you see him sort of reconciling with his masculinity in terms of he's a big butch dude and he is usually thought of to be strong in his circles, but he's dating this tiny woman that is way stronger than him. And we see him sort of reconciling with that. But so far, there's been a couple of moments like that time that she said to him, so you think because you're a man, you don't need help. And you think because I'm a woman that I do. And he's like, well, yeah. And he was grabbing at her and all this shit. But you know, that episode written by a man, this episode written by a woman. And he's acting pretty reasonably in this episode. Like he's, you can see that he's sort of struggling with it like any man in a patriarchal society would be, but he's dealing with it very gracefully and he's letting himself sort through it in a conscientious way. He doesn't piss me off in this episode. Like this is a good example of why Riley is a redeemable character. Riley is, he's capable of evolution as we will see. I know most people don't like Riley. The poor guy just has such a boring face. I mean, I'm sorry if you're listening, Mark, Blue, Mark Blucas. You probably are. I mean, honestly, whenever I say someone has a, a boring face, it's like a pretty regular looking person. I have like a thing. <laughs> I think all white guys look the same. Like, I really do. I have a problem, like, watching TV and movies if there are a lot. And it's, you know, it's a symptom of there being, there's always many, many, many more male characters than, are, than there are female. And there's many, many, many more white male characters than there are of any other kind. So keeping them all, being able to tell them apart because casting directors don't necessarily worry if you can differentiate between the male characters, but in general, like female characters are really, you know, set apart because there's only like two of them, you know, so it's easy to tell them apart. Anyway, he just has one of those vanilla granola faces and I understand why he's overlooked and he isn't the most exciting Buffy boyfriend, but he's really being mature about this whole thing and he's dealing with it. And I think in this episode alone, 
I'm going to say, Riley, two thumbs up. You're doing a good job. Hang in there, buddy. I know your world's about to be torn apart. Okay. Um, super cute moment with Giles. He's like dusting his shelves and he suddenly looks at this zeros in on this one book and opens it up like, oh shit, I was supposed to, I was supposed to remember about this prince like rising from the dead tonight. Oh shit. And he puts the duster in his mouth and he like turns his head and it's just ah, Giles with a prop. Giles with a prop. Everybody, if there were a jingle for that, insert it here. Okay. Um, Professor Walsh, Walsh is a dick to Giles. So Giles goes to look for Buffy and Willow tells him that she's has a meeting with Professor Walsh or whatever. So it's right after that conversation and she's already left or yeah, Buffy's already left. So Giles has a conversation with Professor Walsh and he kind of opens up to her and I totally understand it. You know, he's looking for connection. So he sees someone else that's also a mentor of Buffy and he knows that she respects her. Someone that's around his age, presumably. And he wants to relate to her about, you know, being a mentor of Buffy's. You know, he wants common ground. Like, they could have actually become friends in some alternate universe. But Professor Walsh is a total dick to Giles. And... I'm sorry, even if all her other characteristics were good, if she wasn't evil, if she wasn't condescending to everyone in her path, if she wasn't spying on Riley by putting like cameras in his room, if she wasn't drugging Riley, if she wasn't just awful in every other way, even this moment would be enough. Her being a dick to Giles. She, I don't know. Oh God. It just sucks that we have to hate Professor Walsh. Because woman of authority, like I said, it's not cool that we have to hate her, but we do because she's a dick. So <laughs> I will apparently call her all four letter names for genitalia. Okay. Willow, Xander, and Giles go to find the demon because they can't find Buffy because Buffy's just constantly with Riley lately. Um, the prince never resurrects. Um, but Ethan is there. I don't understand like the connection there. Like there was some sort of prophecy that there was going to be a prince. Um, so resurrecting or something and Giles goes to the crypt where he's supposed to resurrect and nothing happens. Um, I don't, there's kind of like an explanation that maybe the initiative had gone there before them. Um, but I don't know. I don't think that was very well executed because I'm not sure exactly what was supposed to have happened there. But in any case, nothing happens. But Ethan sort of comes out of the shadows and starts like monologuing. And Giles has already left the room, but he hears something. So he comes back and he sees him. And this is where we get, again, like Ethan and Giles have several beers and shots together at a bar. And just sort of end up talking about, you know, how they're old sorcerers. <laughs> they're like old has-beens, blah, blah, blah. And they're relating to each other because they used to be friends. <sighs> Sorry, watching too much Veronica Mars lately. They used to be friends a long time ago. <laughs> Sorry. That is one of those fucking theme songs, man. It is not good and it gets in your head. And it's like in my dreams. Like... I need to start skipping theme songs. For some reason, when I watch TV shows, I do not skip the theme song ever, ever. 
I really should when it's Dandy Warhol singing We Used to Be Friends because that's terrible. Okay. Anyway. Um, so I wrote down a few quotes from their little conversation together. Oh, you know, demons, demons, all exaggeration and blank verse. So Ethan kind of like tells Giles that one of the reasons that he's there is that demons have been sort of rumbling, talking about the initiative. Like he doesn't explain it necessarily in terms that clear, but just that there's some kind of dark force coming up that is really making demons scared. And we're meant to think that it is this initiative thing. And Giles sort of says something like, I've been a freaking sorcerer or witch or whatever it is that he says for 20 years. And then these Nancy Ninja boys are around for six months and they're, and demons are quaking in their boots. Um, first of all, like probably a little bit problematic to say Nancy Ninja boys, but it still sounds cool. So, and also I am inclined to be okay with almost anything that Joss does, but He's not blameless. He shouldn't have said Nancy Ninja Boys. He really shouldn't have. But whatever. He's old and he's drunk and he's English. Um, I like that, you know, at one point, I can't remember who, if it was Ethan or Giles that said, we're a couple of old mystics. And at one point they say, we're still a couple of sorcerers. This is the quote of the episode. So I'm going to say it again. Ethan, at one point, before they take a shot together, they're like, we're still a couple of sorcerers. The night is still our time, a time of magic. And then they like toast to magic and they take a shot together. And it's just, you know, taken out of context, this scene between the two of them, there's a little bit of antagonism, but it looks like a friendship. It looks like an old friendship. It really feels like they're reconnecting after many years of being apart, which is true because, you know, we, we've only seen Ethan rain like two other times when he's just kind of blown into town, done something crazy. Cause he worships, cause he worships chaos and then blows back out of town again. And sadly, pour one out right now. I should have dedicated my shot that I took earlier. I'm not going to take a second one, but I should have dedicated it. So I will dedicate it posthumously, post-shotously to Ethan Rain, because every episode with Ethan Rain is such a fucking joy because, you know, he's basically like the cue of which, oh my God, you guys, I've been watching Star Trek Next Generation every night before bed for several months now. We're on the last season now. And Q is just like this chaotic character that sort of blows in every once in a while, turns everybody's worlds upside down, and then he leaves. And you may not see him again for a season or two, you know? And Ethan Rain is that same thing. But anyway, I have noticed lately so many plot points from Star Trek Next Generation have been used in Buffy. Joss Whedon was heavily influenced by Star Trek Next Generation, um, or maybe not just him, maybe it was other writers too, but anyway, just a little aside. So we only see Ethan Rain, the first time we see him is, I think the Halloween episode, um, I could be misremembering mis something, but I think he's around during the one where we find out about um, Giles' past. And he's around during the Halloween episode and he's around during band candy. And then this episode where he turns Giles into a demon is the last time we ever see him. So 
pour one out for Ethan Rain because he is a joy and I'm sad that we'll never get to see him again. Okay, there was one little drop in the bottom of my shot glass. So I took that one little baby white tear drop for Ethan Rain. Okay. Um, but I don't, I just really love this. I love this. Like two, two old friends getting drunk together and it's beautiful. It really is a beautiful thing. I mean, they're ridiculous. Like they're very wasted. <laughs> Anthony Stewart head especially is very good at acting wasted. Like he's doing that whole like polite English burping in the back of his throat thing while he's talking. He's just so good. Oh my God. Such a good actor. Anyway, we're still a couple of sorcerers. The night is still our time, a time of magic. I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. Next, I have a whole section of my notes that was dedicated to me pausing every single different shot of Tara's bedroom so I could take as many notes of everything that I could discern that's inside her bedroom. Because my featured object of the episode, y'all know I like to pick an object of from every episode of Buffy that I would like to pluck out of the episode and keep for myself for all time. And this has been a beautiful, beautiful thing. I have acquired many things in my life through this. It's like star, it's star of attraction. It's like the law of attraction for Buffy props. This one, I don't think I did it last time because we didn't actually get to see Tara's bedroom in its full glory. This episode, we kind of see it. So the featured object of the episode is Tara's bedroom. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to read off for you all of the things in the scene between Tara and Willow where they, where they try to do a spell where they levitate a rose and pull the petals off of it. This took a long time. It's probably why I couldn't record last night because I was spending too much time rewinding, pausing, taking notes of everything that was in Tara's bedroom. She had an orb lantern, like one of those paper lanterns hanging from her ceiling. She had wicker shelves. I'm not usually a fan of wicker, but it works. Everything works in Tara's bedroom. The walls are painted black. And when they show kind of close-ups, you can see that it looks like a teenager that didn't know what they were doing, painted their walls black real quick. It was like, she didn't do any edge work. She didn't do multiple coats. It, it looks terrible, but in a way that like is totally totally okay for a dorm room. Like obviously she wasn't allowed to paint her walls black in a dorm room in college, but she fucking did it anyway, because that shy little bitch is actually a rebel. Um, Hindu dancing tapestry. There's some sort of, you can't really tell what it is, but it looks like it's like a tapestry of some sort of scene in like the Bhagavad Gita or something. I don't know. Um, haphazardly painted desk. That's really cool because it's like this beautiful little desk that has three drawers on the left side and they're all painted with like teal and citronella and black and white and it's all like sort of haphazardly done like different colors like she just like decided one day oh I don't like that color anymore I'm gonna sort of paint it it's like it's a mess but it's beautiful black walls white Christmas lights around the entire perimeter of the room white lights white string which I'm not usually into white lights, but in a black room, it looks so cool. Red curtains. Okay. And then 
I had to draw a diagram of her windows because there was one shot where they were like the the rose was flying across the room so it sort of showed every single corner of her room real fast but I paused it I got the information for you guys don't worry so her window she had sort of like an inner sheer curtain on the inside of the panel that was black lace and then on the outside of the window frame were red velvet curtains so hot so hot okay I'm not usually into red but you know red velvet curtains against black lace against black walls so goth and I love it <laughs> okay what else we got red curtains it looked like she had orange like sort of low pile shag carpet like not full shag but I mean surely a dorm room wouldn't have come with that so maybe it's just a really big rug like she bought a rug that was almost the size of her dorm room to make sure that she had the ambiance right you know what I'm saying um what else she it looked like she sort of had like a witchy altar on one of her tables it wasn't her desk it was a different little table it had like perfume and some toiletries on it but it also had like crystals and like this um, really cool looking vase full of like big turkey feathers and stuff which is definitely used in witchcraft turkey feathers she had this really cool um, bohemian looking mirror on the wall above her little altar area um, she had an incense urn and an hourglass which was interesting because it wasn't it was currently going so she had flipped that hourglass in like the last half hour so maybe she flipped it as soon as Willow came over I don't know <laughs> okay so now that I've been talking about Willow's room for 10 minutes <laughs> I love it so much Willow or Willow sorry Tara Tara's room Tara's room for 10 minutes I love Tara she's a perfect girlfriend I love her so much um, so I guess my life trajectory is basically I started out as a Willow uh, couldn't choose between Oz or Tara as best boyfriend or girlfriend of all time could never choose I love them both equally for completely different reasons and then I eventually age into the old mystic sorceress of Giles eventually I become Giles <laughs> uh, but if that means I get to sleep with Olivia I'm just kidding um, okay Giles is a demon okay so the next morning Giles wakes up a demon and he's super strong he's like breaking everything it's heartbreaking to watch um, Giles breaking his things because Jaws's apartment is very cool um Willow in the next scene she she has she's in a good phase with her outfits she's wearing this really cool sweater it's like sky blue open weave crochet with um with a rainbow and some other stuff and she's also wearing this really cool it's like it looks like a lavender ball chain with a lavender rose I wanted to bring up the rose symbolism so the night before she's you know doing a spell with Tara to float a rose um, and then the next morning she's hanging out with Buffy um, in the like commissary is that what you call it the like dorm cafeteria room or whatever school cafeteria they're eating breakfast and she talks to Buffy about the spell she did but she says she specifically says I was in the chem lab alone 
So she's keeping Tara a secret. So one of the things I've recently learned when I started getting into tarot, this doesn't necessarily relate to tarot, it's just how I ended up upon this information. Um, a rose, symbolism-wise, a rose signifies secrets. That doesn't necessarily mean that the writers were doing that on purpose, this whole like tarot and willow spell with a rose. And if I didn't mention already, Willow's wearing this little rose necklace as she's telling Buffy, I was alone. So it's interesting, like symbolism wise. I never noticed. First of all, I never noticed that she was wearing this tiny little lavender rose pendant, which is so cute. Um, if I were picking an object of the episode that was just a single object, it would be that tiny little lavender rose necklace that Willow was wearing because it was so pretty and delicate. But... I don't have a rose necklace either. I mean, for me personally, it would make more sense to have like a, like a sterling silver rose because silver jewelry lasts longer than like crappy painted metal like that probably was. But um, anyway, can they do something? Is there a process that you can do to silver to make it look lavender and last? I don't know. Anyway. So if I were picking a reasonable object of the episode, I would pick that necklace, but I'm picking Tara's entire fucking room because I'm not reasonable and I don't have to be. Um, anyway, I just thought that was interesting that this is the first time I've watched this episode, noticing that rose symbolism and knowing that it has for hundreds of years, rose, roses symbolize secrets. So thought that was interesting powerful magic. So she talks about there being like powerful magics that screwed up her spell. So there could be something else going on. Giles runs into Spike. Um, he scares Xander. He runs into Spike. Um, Spike speaks Fiarl and he recognizes that it's Giles. So they spend the rest of the episode together trying to figure out he, you know, Giles from the beginning realized that Ethan did this to him and he wants to know how and he wants to figure out how to undo it. And so Spike helps him. Um, at some point, Xander, Willow and Buffy and Anya figure out that they, that something has happened with Giles. Um, well, because Xander goes to them and says, Hey, I saw this demon with tufty ears and then they go to talk to Giles about it and it's obvious there's been a struggle at his house so at that point they're like oh my god the demon took Giles and Riley shows up and this is interesting dynamic too because this is the first time I mean we saw Buffy and Riley fighting together in Hush but we haven't really seen them come together from the beginning of and evil and figuring out how to execute the plans and blah, blah, blah. And there's this moment that I never really noticed before where they're all at Jazz's house and Buffy's like figuring out what's going on and she's handing out assignments to everyone. Okay, Xander, Anya, you, blah, Willow, you, blah, I'm gonna do this and then we'll meet up here. And how she just, she just does that. It's, it's natural for her. We're used to seeing her do that. It's natural for us to see her do that. But we, we're seeing Riley witnesses for the first time in this episode and it's really interesting like because he's just sort of you know they don't overdo it but they're sort of showing him kind of watching her like okay this is happening you know he's used to like Professor Walsh like throwing out all the 
uh, orders and stuff, but he wasn't expecting it until he saw it happen. He wasn't expecting Buffy to do that. And it was cool to see him react to that. You know, um, I'm glad they had that. They put that in there. It was really subtle and they bring it up later in a conversation between Riley and Buffy. But it's just subtle. It's something that I never noticed in the moment because we're so used to watching her do that. Um, okay. Giles, Giles chases Professor Walsh down the street. She runs and screams, which I think that's really kind of uncharacteristic of her. Like, why would she, the head of a demon science initiative, the initiative, run down the street screaming when confronted with a demon? Like, you would think that she would like scream and be startled and then like try to get the higher ground, try to find a weapon. You would think that she would try to do something other than just run and scream, but whatever. That's not what happened. Um, Giles and Buffy get to Ethan at the same time. Spike wrecks the Citron. That's, is this the last time we're going to see Giles' Citron? It's possible because Spike has just wrecked it. I would like to pay attention from now on if we ever see the Citron again. <laughs> I think it is because I think, I think we see Giles sometime in season four, maybe it's the next episode or sometime in the near future where he has some sort of snazzy car and Buffy like makes fun of him for having like a midlife, midlife crisis or something. And like he, maybe he has like a Corvette or something weird. Or like some kind of convertible. I don't know. I feel like he has some sort of snazzy car at some point and Buffy's making fun of him for it. So maybe the fact that Spike has just wrecked his car is why he does that. I don't know. I can't remember. Stay tuned for that very important information. Okay. Um, B recognizes Giles as she stabs him with a letter opener. So they find out that Silver kills a Fiarl demon. At this point, you know, Buffy, Xander, and Anya do not know um, because Giles wanted to keep it. When he, when he found Spike, he's like, no, Buffy must never know. He doesn't want to bother her with this. So she doesn't know. All three. I, I lit three tea light candles when I walked into this room. Tea light candles are so dumb. They last like an hour. <laughs> They're out already. <laughs> no, I'm not sitting in darkness. I have my desk lamp on. Like, how is she reading her notes with zero tea light candles? <laughs> no one was wondering that, but now you know the answer. Okay. Um, da, 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 da. So this is a really sweet moment. And it's one of the moments that I think of whenever I'm thinking about this episode in general. This is the moment that I think of. I think about this moment when Buffy is about to stab Giles with silver. Letter opener, which apparently isn't real silver. And she looks into Giles's eyes and she notices that it's him. And not, it's too late because she's already stabbed him, but luckily he's fine. But that is just a sweet moment. It, and it gives him a little bit, it gives him like a touch of validation that he's needed from her. Uh, let's see. Da, da, da. I mean, I, I skipped over some of my notes, but you guys don't need all of them. Oh, yeah, I mean, just stupid little nitpick. So Spike crashes the Citron while he's in some kind of car chase, which how often do we see a car chase in Buffy? This is one of the only ones. <laughs> um, like several cars from the initiative are chasing after Spike. 
Um, and he runs into something and crashes the Citron. And we don't, we don't see him again. I guess maybe, let's just, I guess we're just supposed to assume that either he escaped off camera or they didn't, he, maybe right before he crashed, he turned down like some weird alleyway and they didn't see where he went. So whatever, I guess that can be explained. But it seemed kind of weird watching it this time that like he crashes and then they don't catch up to him because as soon as they saw him, they'd be like, oh my God, that's Hostel 17. Let's take him back to the initiative. And there was several guys they could have overpowered him easily. Anyway, Spike's fine. We assume. Um, Ethan, I wrote down it after they're like, you know, they have cornered him into doing the spell to turn Giles human again. Ethan says, I've really got to learn to do the damage and get out of town. It's, it's the stay and gloat that gets me every time. Yes, it is, Ethan. Yes, it is. Okay. Here's a little, I, I think, okay. So Ethan Rain, he does some bullshit stuff that has gotten people killed, probably. He's not a good guy. However, I think he's more in the continuum between chaotic neutral and chaotic evil. I think he's slightly more on the neutral side. Like, he's not completely chaotic neutral, but he's not completely chaotic evil either. Like, he truly, I mean, he worships chaos. They mention it every time we see him in an episode. He's all about, like, just throwing some bullshit in people's way and seeing what happens. Um, he's like the Loki. He's the Q. He's the, you know, wild card joker fool element of Buffy. I think it's a little harsh for the, for Buffy. She doesn't really know the initiative well enough to know, to trust them to just take Ethan away. Like, sure, she's antagonistic towards Ethan. She doesn't like him. She doesn't respect him. She doesn't get him. But you would think that Giles might, I don't know, react a little bit. You know, this is this is his old friend, Ethan Rain. They grew up together. They've done spells together. They're old sorcerers together. They, you know, despite the fact that Ethan has done some shitty things to him, the most recent of which turning Giles into a fjarl demon, I mean, I don't know. I just feel like it's a little harsh for the initiative to take him away and lock him up forever. Like, we're literally never going to see him again. We don't know what they're doing to him. We don't know what kind of torture he's being subjected to by some weird covert military entity. Like, I don't know. I feel like this is just a little too harsh. But, you know, that's just me. Um... At the very, very, very end of the episode, um, there's like this little parallel where Buffy and Giles are talking about Riley and Riley and Walsh are talking about Buffy. And there's also just this cute moment at the end. It's just a cute moment. Giles and Buffy. Buffy's like, I'm so sorry. I thought I told you about all of this stuff. Um, from now on, I will tell you everything. And Giles makes a cute little joke about how, you know, he could, she could pick up the phone and call him anytime because he has to get a new phone because he crushed his phone when he was a demon. So he's hooking it up. That's more Giles, more Anthony Stewart head prop work right there. He's putting together a new cordless phone. 
as he's talking to Buffy, and he's like, yes, I'm very excited. This machine, this telephone tube, from what I understand, you can just pick it up and you can tell someone information that they need to know. I'm very excited. <laughs> oh, cute little moment. Cute little moment. Um, and then uh, she's just sort of telling... I think Giles is kind of like expressing to Buffy that like she's, she needs to be cautious. Like he's part of this establishment that we don't know everything about yet. And Buffy's like, okay, but I'm not dating the initiative. I'm dating Riley and he's a good guy. And Giles is like, okay, I'm just saying, be careful. And, um, and he's doing that in a much more respectful way, I think, than Professor Walsh was doing that towards Riley. She was, she mocked him. She was like, oh, college boy in love. Because Riley said, Buffy's the truest soul I've ever known, which is cute and sweet. And it is kind of like, oh God, college boy in love. But she didn't have to say that. She knows that he very much respects her opinion. So he shouldn't, she shouldn't have been that flippant about it. But then she makes up for it by saying, you know what? I think, I think you're probably right that like Buffy can be trusted. She's putting up a front that she is open to Buffy, but she's really not. And then she walks into a room with 314 on the side. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. So what are our final thoughts on this episode? Because that's the end of the episode. The last shot is her walking into that 314 room. Um, I feel like I missed something earlier. I thought about something that I wanted to say. What was it? Oh, the dynamic between Riley and Buffy. It's interesting because in this episode, you see them fighting together. You see that their styles are extremely different. Like the whole time Riley is like on the phone to other people in the initiative, like updating them on what's going on, getting orders for different, for next steps to take. And at one point he says to Buffy, um, my orders are to not bring you with me. Like now that at the point that they found out where Ethan rain was and they were almost ready to solve the whole thing. He was like, my orders are to not bring you with me. And she's just sort of like, uh, uh, this is Giles. <laughs> we're not following your initiative rules. Okay. I'm not in the initiative. I'm the slayer. This is what I do. And she just sort of disregards him. And he's like, Oh, okay. Well, uh, all right then. And this is the first time we see them butting up against each other in their methods and trying to work with each other with their different strengths that they bring to the table. Um, and it's interesting at this point, they're learning what the other one can do. And it's just kind of cool to see that happen. Like if the initiative, you know, in an alternate universe, if the initiative were like an actually like good military operation that was trying to do the right thing, the science versus magic thing, they could have found a way to work together in a really interesting way um, for the future. I don't think that would have been as interesting for me personally, because when I'm watching a fantasy show, like it's much more interesting to me to watch a magic fantasy show. Like I'm not really in it for military ranks and science and all of that. That's not why I'm watching Buffy. I like all of the mystical bullshit, you know? Um, I'm just an old sorceress, you know, <laughs> the night is still my time. Okay. Anyway. Um, so that's just an interesting dynamic and, um, okay. So let's get into ratings. 
quote of the episode, like I said, we're still a couple of sorcerers. Um, object of the episode is Tara's whole fucking room. <laughs> outfit of the episode is um, that Willow outfit, that first one, her as seen on TV, paired with the Tibetan skirt. MVP of the episode, I think I've done this every time it's been an Ethan Rain episode, but I'm going to do it because this is the last time we're going to see him. Ethan Rain is the MVP of the episode. It really should be Ethan Rain and Giles's friendship is the MVP of the episode. And RIP. MVP and RIP because I don't know if Giles ever sees Ethan ever again. So yeah, I'm amending it to that. Ethan Rain and Giles's friendship. Rupert Giles and Ethan Rain, their friendship. BFF, RIP, MVP. Yes. <laughs> Five by five ratings for the episode. Score out of five for the treatment of women in this episode. Um, I mean, it's fine. It's it's fine. I, nothing really stands out as being like, uh, as pissing me off or being overly awesome. Um, yeah, it's fine. Like, I don't think there's really any sexism in this episode that I can remember and it's written by a woman so there you go maybe I'll give it a four I think it's better than middle of the road because although you know Professor Walsh being such a dick I mean just the fact the mere fact that like they're really only how was Anya treated in this episode first time, I think this is the first episode that we see Xander sort of reprimand Anya in a social situation for doing something quote unquote wrong. So yeah, I was going to give it a four, but I'm going to go back to a three as far as treatment of women in this episode. Um, overall enjoyability of the episode. This is a good episode. It is. I'm going to give it a four. That's high marks for me. If this is the first time that you're listening and you're like, what? She loves this episode and she's only giving it a four. That's how I am, guys. I'm like that with all like five star ratings. Like I won't give a book. I'll give a book a three when I really liked it. <laughs> I'll give it a four if I fucking loved it. I'll give it a five if I, it's like one of my top 25 books of all time. You know, like that's the only time something gets a five. And that's the same way I rate pretty much everything. So three times four is 12. This episode gets a 12. Okay, so we do also need to talk about Angel. <laughs> I'm making it up for it. My last couple of episodes were kind of short, so this one is my trademark super fucking long. So the episode of Angel that aired the same night as the episode of Buffy is called Expecting. Let's see what Nikki Stafford has to say about expecting aired January 25th 2000 of course written by Howard Gordon directed by David Samel never heard of either of those people plot summary Cordelia gets more than she bargained for when she goes on a date and ends up nine months pregnant the next morning yep um I'm not gonna read the whole description for some reason she writes more about the episodes of Angel I think it's just because she wrote her episode guide on Angel several years years later, so I'm assuming as a writer she'd learned to sort of like be more verbose about things, and not because she actually liked Angel more than Buffy. I'm sure that's the case, right? 
Anyway, not going to read her whole thing because she's got like five or six paragraphs, a couple of pages. Not going to do it because I don't care that much about Angel. When I think about this episode, I dread it in much the same way that I dread uh, bad eggs from season two of Buffy, which is also an episode where Cordelia gets like taken over by a host and ends up going to a place to serve the mother. And like, it's thematically similar. This has been done to her before. Um, as far as like, this is one of those episodes. It's not quite as bad as I think of it. Whenever I first go, Oh fuck. This is that one where Cordelia is fucking pregnant. Fuck, fuck, fuck. This is stupid. It's kind of a B movie kind of episode of Angel, but it really, it's, it's serviceable. It's not terrible. It, it serves to do a little bit of character development for Cordelia. Um, here are my notes. I have less than a page. Cordelia gets knocked up by a demon. She becomes hypnotized. She gets last blow. She thinks she's being punished. Dennis is a nice ghost. <laughs> that is my entire summary. Um, I do like that we are still getting like throwbacks to Dennis, like when she's really upset the next morning when she wakes up pregnant. Um, she's just kind of like, she's in shock. She's sort of laying in bed crying and she just doesn't know what to do. She thinks she's being punished. She says that out loud to Angel at one point because, you know, it's this running theme of her feeling bad for how much of a bitch she was in high school. And I like that. I like when they do a callback to that because she really was not a character that you would think um, would be redeemable, you know, from the beginning. Like when we first met Cordelia, we wouldn't have thought that we would like her so much at this point. And she thinks she's being punished. And um, Dennis is like giving her tissues and pulling the covers up. And it's sweet. It's sweet. Um, and he even tried to like warn her the night before too. She was like, she invited the guy into her house and she was like making out with him and shit. And Dennis was like fucking with the radio and like the lights and everything because, and she thought that he was just being protective and jealous. But I think he knew that this guy was bad news and he was doing everything he could as a ghost to prevent them from being together. And I just like that. It's, it's weird that I'm into... <laughs> that, but it, I just think it's sweet that she has a ghost that likes her and is kind of looking out for her. You know, Cordelia at this point in the series, she's surrounded by men that want to protect her. She's got Wesley, she's got Angel, she's got Dennis the ghost. Um, as far as like, so this is something that in the early episodes of Angel, it's really questionable if it I mean, lots of episodes of Angel just do not pass the Bechdel test because in this, in most episodes of Angel, there's only like whoever the current victim of the week is, is usually a woman. And then there's Cordelia and then maybe there's Kate, but they might never interact with each other. In this episode, it probably does pass the Bechdel test at some point because you see Cordelia hanging out with a couple of girlfriends most of the time you don't see them talking. I can't think of a specific moment where it might have passed the Bechdel test because I didn't take notes when I was watching it. Um, if you want an angel podcast that is more thorough, listen to the one called Angel on Top. It's definitely not me. <laughs> I'm just sort of like when I first began doing this at the beginning of this season, I was 
I was pretty diligent. Like, I only watched the episode once, but I would watch it, and I would take notes, and I would report to you guys. And at this point, I'm watching it once, not taking notes, and writing down what I remember about it, like, two days later. <laughs> and that's it. Um, I might get a little bit more diligent once we get the addition of, like, Fred and Lorne and Gunn. Once we get, like, the core cast really settled in, we get more female characters, I might get a little bit more interested in the show and take more notes and be more studious. But as for now, you're getting very little when it comes to angel ratings. Sorry about that. So it maybe passes the Bechdel test and includes some interesting um, character development for Cordelia. It's not as bad as you might remember this episode if you remember it. If you have a knee-jerk response when you hear the word expecting as an episode title for Angel, it's not that terrible of an episode to endure watching um, as far as just pure entertainment is concerned. But it's, it's ridiculous, yes, but it's okay, you know? Five by five ratings. As far as treatment of women, I mean, women are just there to be impregnated in this particular episode. And since Cordelia is pretty much our only female character in this entire fucking episode, that's all we get, you know? That's one of the things I've been watching a lot of, like, movie critiques on YouTube lately. Because I've just been recovering from my tooth procedure all week. I've just been basically sitting around... It's really funny, like, I've basically been alternating between, like, watching, like, intellectual, like, pop culture critiques of movie tropes and, um, tiny house, um, tours. Like, <laughs> I've been obsessing about tiny houses. Tiny houses and movie tropes. But anyway, um, what was I gonna say about that? Oh, one of the things that, like, you know, women are super harsh on female characters because most of the time when there's a female character on screen, there's only the one. So she has to represent all of womankind because she's the only one there. You know, most like movie hero teams such as the Avengers or whatever will only have a token female. So she, you know, Scarlet, Scarlet, Black Widow, I do that all the time, I want to call her Scarlet Widow. Scarlet Johansson playing Black Widow is the only Avenger that's a woman. So she has to represent all of womankind and everything that she does is hyper, hyper scrutinized. Whereas she could be the exact character that she is with the exact, you know, anyway, anyway, Cordelia has to carry the burden for all of us. <laughs> at this point because like what what are they even thinking at this point anyway whatever angel not the best show in the world my mom hates it that i'm making her watch it um mom if you really don't want to watch it tell me i'll figure i i have to take it home because i have i have angel on dvd and i just take it over to her house and then i watch it once at her house <laughs> when i'm over at her house every thursday and she hates watching it but I swear there are some good moments in Angel, and I'm not regretting that I've decided to talk about it, but I'm not going to promise that I'm going to talk about it very much. Okay, so now that I've talked about not talking about Angel for like 10 minutes, let's go ahead and wrap this episode up. Okay, so 5x5 five five ratings for Angel episode expecting. 
treatment of women. I was starting to talk about that, and then I went on a whole rant, and I forgot I was even doing it. I give it a two, because it doesn't pass the Bechdel test. Well, maybe it does. I don't know. It possibly did, but if it did, it was tiny and insignificant. Um, and so there's just not enough women on screen to be able to treat them a certain way, and being impregnated with demon spawn without your consent is gross. Very gross. Um, so it gets a two for treatment of women. As far as overall enjoyability, it's fine. So I give it a three. So overall it gets a six. <laughs> I don't know why I'm still doing that because doesn't matter. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. I will. We have an episode to talk about every single week in February. So I will be back to talk to you guys. No, 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 we don't. Oh, weird. We don't have an episode to talk about on February 1st, but every other week in February, February, we have an episode to talk about. So next week, uh, we get a week off from talking about Buffy. So I probably won't have any kind of podcast next week. And I'll just be back in two weeks where we will talk about the IN team. That seems wrong. I'm going to double check that. Maybe I wrote it down on my calendar wrong. Like, why is it? Nope, that's true. February 8th, I and team. Okay. So I'll see you guys in two weeks and we'll talk about the I and team. Um, I hope you guys have an awesome couple of weeks and I'll see you then. Thanks for letting me be tardy this week. You guys are the best. See you next week. Oh, see you in two weeks. Bye.